May I invite your attention to Luke chapter 6. And before I read my text, it's only five verses out of Luke um, 6. The first five. I want to give you something that's kind of an introductory comment, uh, and it's completely free of charge. This is a this is a new little piece that uh, that, I, I, that I hope will help you. Guys, you know that we believe in an inerrant Bible around here. Now, I, I'm sure they don't everywhere believe in a Bible that's inerrant, but we do. And I hope you do. And, and if you've got struggles, um, that's the very thing that I exist for, is to help you get over those and be able to know that what you're holding in your laps right now is something that God wrote. But what we don't believe in <laughs> is the pagination and the versification. You know what those words mean? <laughs> that is, the take the Gospel of Luke. It was written without verses and chapter divisions. The verses that you see and the, the various chapter differences, those were inserted. Those were not things that were, that were done by God the Holy Spirit. The text, of course, is. But these, these breaks in the chapters and the breaks in the verses are done hundreds of years later for our convenience. To help us just read it and, you know, even memorize it. I memorized that verse, you know, verse four as a verse, as opposed to verse five. But the verses, the pagination, the, the, the versification, the pagination, and even the breaking up the chapters, that's not inspired. Okay. I say that to say this. Chapter six, verse one opens up in the middle of a section. The section really starts in chapter 5, verse 33, and it ends in chapter 6, verse 11. That is a unit of thought, beginning at 533 and going through 611. But, of course, it's interrupted by a chapter change. The chapter change so much throws you off because the, the, the unit of thought really begins... In verse 33 of chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to read that. But this whole idea, and I know you've heard this before, I bet you have, about the new wine and the old wineskins, that's up in 537. The new wine, you don't put the old wine in the new wine and the wineskins and all that business. That's right up here, and it goes with chapter 6, verses 1 and 5, and then the, the, the next section of 6, verse 11. That's all one unit of thought. What you're getting here is an idea and really three illustrations of the idea. The one illustration is fasting. The other illustration is the one that we're going to read. And then the third illustration is the whole idea of the Sabbath. Now, that's completely free of charge. Um, but, I mean, when you're reading your Bibles, just, just keep in mind... That even though the chapter breaks, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's breaking at the right point. Okay, so into the middle of a thought, we come. We come um, to verse 1 of chapter 6. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? 
Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, we finish up this morning this little bread tour that uh, I mentioned. I really started back in July. All I did was find passages in the Old and New Testament where bread was one of the central motifs of the, of the paragraph. And what I've sought to do is use those, those passages to help us get a new perspective, a new insight, a new little piece of fresh understanding of this sacrament that we're about to enjoy. That's all this bread tour business means, and we're done after today. Now, guys, in the text that I just read, Luke 6, 1 through 5, Jesus refers to an event. An event that takes place in the Old Testament. It takes place in 1 Samuel 21. You may remember the event. You can, you can read it if you like. It's in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. But the event was this. You remember the first king of Israel is Saul. The second king of Israel is David. The third was Solomon. But the first was Saul and the second was David, but David was the heir apparent. Saul knew that David was the heir apparent and knew that he was his rival and so sought to kill him. Chased him all around the countryside. Um to try and kill David. On one of the occasions when David, with his supporters, are running from Saul, they come to the place where they're hungry. They're out of food. And so they go to a little city by the name of Nob, (laughs) N-O-B. The city's named Nob. I've never been there, and I don't know that it's still out there, but it was a little city named Nob. And they go to the synagogue, and the, the priest there is a guy by the name of Ahimelech. And David says, you got anything to eat? And Himelech says, uh, well, yes and no. We've got the bread of the presence, but you're not supposed to eat that. I mean, that, that, that food, that bread is only for the priest. By the way, that's what we talked about last month, the bread of the presence. Remember? It was in the temple. But anyway, uh, yeah, we got the bread of the presence, but you're not supposed to eat that. That bread was not to be eaten by just anyone. That was special bread. Now, guys... Why was it special bread? Was it cooked in a different way than other bread? No. Did it have, did it have different ingredients in that bread that wasn't in other bread? No. It was same kind of bread as, same ingredients in that bread as in other bread. But it was special because it was a symbol. That ordinary bread, that bread of the presence, that ordinary bread became a big deal because of what it symbolized. Let me give you an illustration, which, which I hope will help. There's a piece of cloth, and the piece of cloth is mm, yay big, and it's got red and white stripes on it. And then in the upper left-hand corner, there is a blue square. And in that blue square, 
are 50 stars. Now, is there anything special about that cloth? No, just cloth. Just cloth, cloth. I mean, just cloth or polyester or something. Is there anything special about the dyes or the color? Oh, no, 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 no. Just red, white, and blue. Same colors in a lot of, see a lot of places. But what is it that makes that piece of cloth so much different than another piece of cloth? It's because of what that piece of cloth symbolized, folks. Or what it symbolizes. That it becomes, it becomes almost a piece of reverence for those of us who love this country. Don't you mishandle that ordinary piece of cloth that symbolizes something that is really important. Guys, the Old Testament is full of symbols. All kinds of symbols in the Old Testament and in the New. But all of those symbols in the Old Testament were, were designed... To point Israel to a future salvation, a future redemption, a future savior, a future Messiah. Which, by the way, they're, they're, they're still looking for. But guys, here's the thing that you gotta understand about this passage. And, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's important. In fact, it's the, it's the insight that I think that will weave These three parts of this passage together for you. That is 533, 6-1, and 6-6. You got to get this. Guys, once the thing to which the symbol pointed comes about, or arrives, or happens then the symbol is no longer needed. I mean, if a symbol is pointing to a thing and the thing shows up, you don't need the symbol anymore. Because the thing to which the symbol pointed is there. No better illustration, ladies and gentlemen, than in... This bread of the presence business. Let me explain. Um, If the bread of the presence is pointing to God's presence and God shows up, then you don't need the bread anymore. I mean, uh, if the bread of the presence is pointing to the bread of life, and the bread of life shows up, then you don't need that other bread anymore. And that's Jesus' point in all three of these little illustrations. The bread of the presence had great symbolic significance. And And the Jews knew it. And so Jesus raises this issue about the bread of the presence. But... By way of implication, he's saying, 
what's the big deal about that bread? Because the bread is standing right in front of you. The other one over there about fasting. Why don't your disciples fast? I mean, I mean, my goodness, uh, would everybody else fast? Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, wait a minute. Why would you fast when the object of all of your desires is standing right in front of you? The third one, the Sabbath. Big deal among Jews. Big deal, as you well know, still is. But Jesus says, why are you interested in the stipulations of the Sabbath when the Lord of the Sabbath has just shown up? If you're concerned about the Sabbath and the fact that it it legislates rest, and you got to rest on the Sabbath, then when the one who gives the soul ultimate eternal rest appears, then my goodness, your your rabid attention to detail of the Sabbath, it can go. Because you don't need to worry about the stipulations of the Sabbath. When the Lord of the Sabbath is talking to you, And when it comes to the bread, what fool, what fool would want that bread when the bread is standing right in front of them? Oh, yeah. That bread used to have some mm, rich significance, but it was pointing to me all the time. And now I'm here. And so, what nincompoop would still make a big deal out of that bread when the bread is standing right in front of you? But now, ladies and gentlemen, he left us again. And so until he returns... What we have to remind us of him is bread and some stuff that looks like blood. But one day, ladies and gentlemen, these symbols will lose all of their significance because he will be back. Until then, We remember him via symbols. Let's pray. Our Father, I I do ask that what we do today will not be an idle religious ritual. But that as we take these things that are so rich in value because of what they symbolize, that you would draw us ever more sweetly and ever closer to your precious bleeding side. 
that what we do today might not simply represent, ah, the relief of a shortened sermon, but it might stir us into the depths of our soul as we once again grasp the very centerpiece of our religion, the finished work of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray.